This is the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Don't forget that you can listen to us across the Faith Radio Network for the entire hour, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Central or 10 a.m. Eastern. If you want your question read on the show or have any comments, send it to Jeremiah at askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, Dr. John. Hello. Uh, hello. Uh, well, since you guys are Christian thinkers. So I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that. Sure, appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. That's my question. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Hey everyone, welcome to the program. This is Jeremiah Johnston. I'm delighted to have you joining us today. We are focusing on cultural engagement in today's program. What if I told you there was a resource out there available to you right now that would equip you how to do Christianity and culture well, how to integrate your faith with the culture around you. You're already doing it. The question is, are you doing it well? Are you engaging the culture around you with your faith effectively? Are you doing it beautifully and virtuously? Or are you doing it with some fear or trepidation? Well, what if I told you there was a book that actually looked at contemporary issues, all of the questions around many of the hot-button sexuality questions, gender roles, Human life and reproductive technology, that is a big question. Everything from in vitro fertilization to the case against it, reproductive biotechnology, a broad approach to reproductive ethics uh, that would look at these questions not only from the broad spectrum, but then answer them in specific, practical academic, evidential answers. Well, guess what? There is a book. There is a resource that's available to you, and it doesn't just stop at human life and reproductive technology, immigration and race, creation and creature care, a fabulous, fabulous section of material in this book. Politics, of course, work, arts, war, weapons, capital punishment, and then how to do gospel-shaped cultural engagement. Well, all of this is in a beautiful book that has just been released by our good friends over at Zondervan Academic, and it's been edited by, and put together, compiled, uh, both with themselves contributing chapters, Josh Chatro and Karen Swallow Pryor. Uh, both of them were professors at Liberty University. Josh has moved on, and I'll give him a full introduction here in a moment. Uh, but these two wonderful thinkers, professors, and really public theologians have done a fabulous job of teaching the church and resourcing the church with how to do cult Christianity and culture specifically at an engagement level, not just theoretics, not just pie in the sky, but really how do we talk deeply and care deeply about these issues? And then um, what are all of the fascinating questions around each one of these issues? It's truly, as they say in their subtitle, a crash, a crash course in contemporary issues. Well, Karen Swallow Pryor, who's online getting ready to join us on this program, is a professor of English at Liberty University, where she's won multiple teaching awards. I love reading her works. She's appeared, of course, in so many uh, very influential magazines and publications, and she's also written some fabulous books, Booked Literature and the Soul of Me, Fierce Convictions, and of course, On Reading Well. 
Josh Shatro uh, himself was a professor at Liberty University. Now he has moved on and serves as the director for New City Fellows, and he is the resident theologian at Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Raleigh. He's written some excellent books. He's a fellow with the Center for Pastor Theologians, and he's also served in both pastoral and academic posts for his entire time in ministry. These are excellent, clear thinkers, and they do such a wonderful job of not only discussing these questions at academic levels, but also addressing them from a popular perspective. So we're going to dive right in with our special guest today. Stay with us. You're listening to the Jeremiah Johnson Show, the show that doesn't tell you what to think, but hopefully teaches you how to think, how to love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Stay with us. Coming right back at you with Josh and Karen. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, friends. I'm delighted to have all of you joining us across Faith Radio Network in the Central and Eastern Time Zone, as well as so many of you listening on demand right now through one of your podcast mediums. By the way, thanks so much for all the fantastic reviews and reactions that you're giving to the program. If this is your first time joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston program, this is the show that inspires you to go to not Google, but God's Word with your unanswered questions. And I'm so delighted to have you joining us today because I have been seriously counting down the weeks for today's program. I have two fantastic guests that are actually joining us for the entire broadcast today. I have Karen Swallow Pryor, and I also have Professor Josh Chateau. Both of these phenomenal guests have just released a powerful book they've edited called Cultural Engagement, a crash course. And we all need a crash course <laughs> in contemporary issues. And this is put out by the great people over at Zondervan Academic. Josh, Karen, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Great to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And Karen, you have been teaching for 30 years now. Am I right about that? Professor of English at Liberty University for, what, 20, 21 of those 30 years? Is that correct? I, yeah, I just finished my 20th year, and, um, I, yeah, I didn't know anyone was keeping track. But you're absolutely right. 30 years of college teaching and 20 of those um, at Liberty University. So fabulous. And, of course, we've read you, Karen, in The Atlantic, Christianity Today, Washington Post, Vox, First Thing, Sojourner, so many other bylines. We thank God for your amazing work as well with some of your fascinating books, uh, which I would love to discuss as well if we have time. And then, Josh, you've just recently moved from a professorship at Liberty University, and now you're the director of New City Fellows, a resident theologian at Holy Trinity, Trinity Anglican Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, beautiful Raleigh. Uh, and, of course, I'm familiar with many of your books as well, as many of our listeners will be, Apologetics and the Cross, Truth and a Culture of Doubt, Truth Matters. Friends, uh, I've given you already uh, a longer introduction in my first segment, and so I want to jump right in. And, Karen, do you mind if I just jump right off the high dive with you at the, at, for the first question? <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> You have written this fabulous book called On Reading Well. The majority of my questions today, I want to discuss your all's brand new book, Cultural Engagement. But I've been, I've been honestly have been counting down the weeks to this program because I want to ask you a question because I feel like I personally need your insights into an issue on interpretation. And what I so appreciated about your book on reading well was the fact that you know, so many, what is it, 44 million Americans did not read a book last year. I've been discussing this on this program quite a bit, how many people just simply don't read anymore, and that has me burdened. But here's my question for you as it relates to interpretation, because I love how you talk about the importance in your book on reading slowly, 
reading for interpretation and understanding, which really flies in the face of a lot of the speed reading we teach at the university level and whatnot. So here's, here's my question I have to frame for you, okay? Great. I'm Otto ready, Thorbeck, Otto Thorbeck is the SS judge who, even though his train breaks down, is so intent on executing judgment on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he rides the, he rides the final 20 kilometers or so on a bicycle because he is that committed to enact judgment on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we would ultimately execute as a personal request, as many of our listeners will be familiar with from Adolf Hitler. Here's my question for you. Bonhoeffer and Judge Thorbeck received the same education in reading the classical books. What went wrong? How did they get derailed that in reading the classical books, Bonhoeffer felt vindicated, he felt emboldened to stand up against evil, whereas Thorbeck reads the same books and interprets them in a much more relativistic way that he's a company man and he's just following orders. And what can we learn from this situation about how important it is we interpret our culture around us? Wow, that's a heavy-hitting question. And, of course, it does tie <laughs> even to, to the book that we're going to talk yes. about later. Yes. So it does have to do with interpretation of our reading and cultural engagement. And, I, I mean, I think, you know, even though I've written a book about um, how reading can help us live and be live more virtuous and be more virtuous, um, it's, I mean, just to reduce it to the old aphorism, I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I mean, all that good books can do for us, and even truth itself, whether with a small T or a capital T, um, it's something we still have to receive, and we have to internalize, and we have to apply. Um, so, you know, they say that Hitler loved classical music. He had great taste. Mm. He appreciated art, um, but it wasn't enough to make him a good human being. I mean, it, it's not enough for any of us. Um, of course, we need Christ. We need capital T truth. Um, and books can, you know, reading, reading good books can expand our understanding and knowledge, but only if that's what we're really pursuing. Mm. Well, I think it's a beautiful segue because I'm just reminded that Bonhoeffer, I mean, he read these books and yet he maintained this moral compass of absolute right and absolute wrong. But how often, as you say, we don't receive truth and that can affect us in our reading. And I, I think that's a beautiful segue. I wanted to begin with that question. But, I, and y'all, I know it is a labor of love to edit a book. And um, I just want to, again, commend our audience, Cultural Engagement, A Crash Course in Contemporary Issues. Josh, talk about how this book came to be and some of the vicissitudes that you all faced uh, as it was going to press. Well, one of the things we found, uh, both teaching at Liberty at the time, was that our students would come in um, typically from from one perspective, one tradition that they, one Christian tradition that they were raised in, and they hadn't really. Um, they kind of equated their tradition with uh, the entire Christian tradition, so they haven't hadn't really thought through how to engage even other Christians. I mean, so, so they haven't even thought through um, various uh, views within this long history of the Christian Church. And and so one of the things that I think Karen and I both felt was the need to get students to slow down and to think through uh, their own tradition and compare it to other Christian traditions, even before we start engaging. In other words, mm. let's as as Karen just mentioned and as you led us off with is 
is slowing down and reading well and listening well. Um, that's one of the marks of, I think, being a good, um, uh, being faithful and winsome in cultural engagement. But for, for Karen and I both, we've had different experiences where we got to uh, kind of face-to-face and in different academic settings do this, but our 18, 19, 20-year-old students hadn't, really hadn't had those same experiences. So this book was really, the aim of it was to kind of fast-forward uh, through that and so that kind of exposed them to some of these different conversations. And at the same time, for Kieran and I to, to help frame this and shepherd this so that it's not just students going through kind of uh, the challenges of, of today's culture on their own, but, uh, but for us to do it as teachers, as we, uh, as, as editors of the book. Uh, and so getting 50 different uh, thinkers together and and getting essays mm. for them what was was quite a <laughs> bit of a challenge and then as we're as we're approaching the end as we mentioned in our uh, preface to the book as we're approaching the end Karen gets hit by a bus I know and I just... um, and so I would tell uh, I would tell people this and they said well what do you mean metaphorically I know no yeah. literally she got hit by a bus and Zondervan was great working with us on this and I don't know if you want to fill people in on that story, Karen, but, uh, I, I uh, want to jump in yeah. Josh. Cause I, I mean, I, I mentioned this when we were getting you on the line for the program to Karen, I've been praying as I know so many hundreds, thousands who are listening for Karen's full recovery. Um, because it's the first time in an academic book, I've just busted out laughing, reading an introduction or a preface, as you said, <laughs> Because it, we're not talking the proverbial hit by a bus. I mean, Karen, you were working, I think, with Lifeway filming or something. And would you just tell our audience, for those that are not familiar with the story, what happened to you? <laughs> sure, yeah. I was in um, Nashville, downtown, uh, walking to a meeting at Lifeway to talk about my, my next book project. And um, got lost um, and turned around to go back to my hotel and try to catch a cab so I wouldn't be late and walked into a crosswalk and didn't see the bus until it hit me. I ended up um, mm. in uh, Vanderbilt Hospital for eight days with all kinds of um, fractured and broken, broken bones and collapsed lungs. And uh, a year out now, um, after so many prayers, I mean, I just felt so many prayers and got so many messages and so much support and so much love. And um, I'm pretty much recovered today. And it's, I, it's, it's, it feels like a miracle. I'm very thankful. And thankful wow. to have this book out, too. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, it's a story of your perseverance that you both got it out, and it's done with such excellence, friends. Um, what does it mean for a crash course in contemporary issues? I, I, how did you, how were you able, Karen, to distill, okay, these are the guardrails of what we're going to talk about, because this could have gone in so many directions. You all did such a great job, I think, with the scope of the book. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, we basically cover nine contemporary issues, and, and yeah, there are so many more we couldn't include. But part of what we were doing is not only picking uh, several of the issues that seem to be getting the most conversation about within the church, like arts, creation care, gender roles, sexuality, obviously is a big one, immigration, race, a lot of the big issues. But we set up the book and designed it not only to have these con- contributions from various essayists and our own 
um, discussion questions and framework, but to actually equip readers to then apply this kind of critical thinking and approach to biblical application to any issues, because, you know, next year it's going to be a different issue, and 10 years down the road, some of these are, people will wonder why we were ever even concerned about them. Um, And so, you know, these are the issues that we think are generating the most discussion and confusion among not just young Christians, but even older Christians today. And then, of course, we just sat down and said, okay, so, you know, who do we know that would um, represent a strong, prominent, not necessarily always a view we we agree with, but Mm -hmm. views that are getting a lot of attention and a lot of uh, agreement, whether we agree with them or not. And we just try to present an array of perspectives that uh, that we know our students are grappling with, and a lot of other people as well. And and you don't pull any punches, you guys. I mean, you you addressed everything from the death penalty to beauty and virtue. And I mean, this is I, I just so appreciated the scope. So if you're one of the pastors listening to this, or a professor, a teacher, an influencer, if you do Bible studies, if you're just someone who you love to enrich your Christian libraries with books that are going to make you more conversant, more effective in your faith, you absolutely want to pick up Cultural Engagement, again, put out by Zondervan. Friends, you've got to follow my two guests on Twitter as well, at Josh Chatro and at KS Pryor. We've got to jump to a 90-second break. When we come back, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper with our guests. I'm going to ask, what does it mean to engage in culture as a Christian and is the church always a, a community of believers that should be in conflict with culture? I look forward to their answer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program's friends. This is Jeremiah Johnston. You're listening to the program here on Faith Radio Network. And so many of you who are listening also on demand on the different podcast formats. We're so delighted to have you joining us because we're talking about this excellent new book, Cultural Engagement, that Josh Chatreau and Karen Swallow Pryor have edited and contributed to, as well as 50 of the brightest thinkers right now from across the cultural spectrum. Uh, And they're pulling no punches. It's a book that's a crash course in contemporary issues. I'm so delighted that I received a copy. It's put out by Zondervan Academic. Friends, um, something that I have said about uh, two things that came out of a recent book that I wrote, the church unified and mobilized is the greatest force for good on earth. But the second thing that I said, and I want to have you react to this, Josh first, and then perhaps Karen too, if we have time, the the gospel, because we have so many questions to get to, in my opinion, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when followed, will always bring me into conflict with society, culture, and contemporaries. Josh, how do you react to that with this entire book on cultural engagement? Yeah, I mean, I think first we've got to think through what do we mean by, by culture. Uh, sometimes when, we, when yes. we start talking about, I think it was David Brooks, uh, the New York Times columnist, in a, in a recent book that said, I, I'd like for Christian pastors when they start talking about culture just to go take a nap. And I think, and I think what he was saying was, uh, what, he, what he was saying was, yeah, culture's diverse, and culture's doing different things, and 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 maybe uh, I think what he's getting at is we haven't really thought through sometimes what we're talking about, and sometimes when we talk about culture, it's something out there, kind of out there in the world that that doesn't really kind of affect us, and so we're going to engage it, but we're all swimming in this thing called culture, um, and. And so when we start talking about should we be for culture or against culture, I, I think 
culture is is inevitable. It is uh, it's culture yeah. is the phone I use. It's uh, this this radio podcast. You know, all of this is part of culture. So we can't we can't kind of jump out of culture. We can choose to jump out of particular cultures, but but we can't we can't jump out of culture as a uh, you know totally because we're cultural beings. So when we talk about culture, I think we need to be able to say yes and no to culture. The gospel gives us critical distance from our culture to be able to say this is good and this is bad. And I think our lives mm. need to be, uh, you know, we, we put on the lens of the gospel, and then we're able to say this, this, actually, this actually is a good thing that I can affirm, but this part of culture I need to challenge, or maybe I need to exit out of this particular area of culture because of the dangers or because how how it's impacting me negatively. So I I guess my big point there is we need to have some nuance, and that's one of the things we were trying to get across in the book. Hmm. And I think you did a fabulous job with that. Karen, anything you could add to that? Well, just to go back to something Josh um, brought up briefly earlier is just that so many times as Christians we come from a tradition and we don't even realize that we've inherited this way of thinking about culture that mm. that can differ among other Christian communities and that, that we, we need to be intentional and conscious and self-aware of the way that we are relating to culture um, rather than just simply assume that the way we've always seen modeled for us is the only way or the best way to engage culture. It is so true, and, uh, and and so how do we do that well? Let me, because we have a very wide audience for this program. I understand you all are academics, but one thing that I appreciate about both of you is you do such a great job of what Lewis said of of translating meaning. Um, how do we do it well, Karen? I mean, for the Christians who are listening to you, um, sometimes culture can be seem like this really big thing, or or maybe it's against my faith, or I was raised in a tradition that did not equip me how to be effective with my faith and culture. What are the immediate next steps that our listeners can do, obviously getting your book, but to be better about engaging culture? Well, I think it begins with really being thoughtful and listening and reading widely and well, Um, knowing Scripture, of course, because here's the problem that, that we keep encountering is Again, it, we're withdrawing on our experience with students, but applies to so many. You can go out on the Internet now and find any position, any point of view that someone will say is faithful biblically. And, and it, mm-hmm. that may not exactly. be the case. And so you can find anyone to advocate for anything and say that it's Christian. So we have to be more critical, more faithful, more discerning than ever before. But we also don't want to err on the other side and simply dismiss and and not critically engage and not understand and not listen because because that's just the opposite extreme. And you know, the, the 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 way that Christ models is to speak and know and model the truth in love. And so that, that in itself requires attention on our part to, to, to love by listening and understanding, but also to uphold the truth by knowing the truth and applying it. 
So good. And friends, if you're just joining us, I have Josh Chatreau and Karen Swallow Pryor. We're discussing their brand new book, Cultural Engagement, a crash course in contemporary issues, 50 thinkers, three sections, a book that you must have on your shelf. Um, Josh, I just loved and appreciated the chat. Uh, well, the entire book, chapter three, though, engaging culture virtuously. Um, one of the things with Western Christianity that just irks me to no end is how militant it can sound at times. <laughs> um, and mm. I really appreciated the spirit of part one. Can you just impress on our audience how important it is that we engage culture virtuously? And I'm, I'm rebounding off chapter three for those of you that have the book at home. Yeah, well, I might. I mean, I'm all for that, and I, that was actually. I might just switch it to Karen at that point if I can. If I can redirect here, she's the primary author, and that's she's going to speak better to that than I am. Excellent. Yeah, Karen, please. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is a section that's near and dear to my heart um, because my book that you just talked about on reading well is an examination of classical virtues, and so I have a love for thinking about virtue, and of course, trying to to be virtuous. Um, but it goes back to my earlier point about kind of balancing these tensions. Virtue, the virtues are excellencies, you know, they're human excellencies, and they avoid um, the extremes on either end, whether, you know, it's an extreme, there are so many extremes in our culture because we're so polarized, it could be a political extreme, it could be a social extreme, um, and the virtue to be virtuous is to moderate between those extremes and not be too much of something to be to be not overconfident or underconfident to have um, intellectual integrity which does require not only um, speaking but listening and so we think it's really important not only to pursue truth but actually to live it in your life by embodying the virtues that the Bible talks about, which, you know, includes the fruit of the Spirit and other um, virtues that, that Paul commends to us in the New Testament. And friends, I love how she finishes um, chapter three on page 60. Ultimately, engaging in culture is nothing more and nothing less than seeking the truth in order to love with a godly love. Um <sighs> What a powerful statement in light of, especially in Western Christianity, when, when, when I think we have been so polarized, we have these poles, uh, we have sound bites, and we don't have substance. Um, it's such an important reminder, but I think it's hard at times when we see the culture that's evil around us, Josh, um, to, we're, we're passionate about these things, right? So when we see evil around us, and I mean, you, you all, as I continue to say with these 50 different thinkers, I mean, you, you talk about all of the hot issues in this book, and you teach us how to engage culturally speaking, but how do we do that with balance when these issues are so close to our, near and dear to our heart? How can we still do it with love? How do we do that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we start with, with what Scripture says, and I and we, I mean, one of the classic passages is First Peter three fifteen, where Paul's. I mean, Peter's talking about giving an apologetic for your faith, and he says, "Do it with gentleness and respect." And and I think one of the things that's going on right now in our cultural moment is people are saying Christians are saying, "Well, forget that," and they kind of have an instrumental view of of what they're doing. In other words, we're going to do what works, and their sense is is that. Uh, is, is, is that some other way other than gentleness and respect is what's going to work, therefore that's what we're going to do. And so s starting off with, I just want to say, 
we're called to be Christ-like, and that and that sometimes will mean being really direct. And so I'm not saying you can't be direct. And there's, uh, you know, the, the Bible. One of the things we emphasize is the Bible does different things, and there's moments where Christ is direct, but he, he, there's still this this love and graciousness and humility about him as he does that. And and I don't think we can just say, well, I, I think this way works better, so I'm just going to opt into that now. We can talk. That doesn't mean we don't talk about strategy, but I think at a baseline we have to say, what does it mean to be Christ-like, and uh, and then wh- wh- wherever that goes from there, if that means we receive persecution, then we have to be ready for that. Uh, to, but we're going to emulate Christ and how we do this. Mm, so good, uh, Karen. I appreciated that you contributed to Section Six: Human Life and Reproductive Technology. Um, Audrey and I did in vitro fertilization. We've been very public about that. All five of our children, uh, Karen and Josh, were actually conceived at the same moment (laughs) way back in 2008 during our original round of in vitro. Um, We had frozen embryos. So even though we have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and three three 3-year-olds, as of this Sunday, God help me, we have three three 3-year-olds. It's not the terrible twos. It's the (laughs) terrible threes, I've come to realize. Um, But praise God, that was such a beautiful experience for us. And you have a chapter in here. Uh, called In Vitro Fertilization is Pro-Life. I so appreciated that chapter uh, because there's so many, again, wrong things, uncritical statements that Christians make uh, who simply don't understand the facts related to ethical issues of life, in vitro, etc. But can you just talk for a few minutes about your chapter, Pro-Life in Word and Deed? We've got about three minutes until our break. Sure. That essay was um, drawn from an essay that I published um, shortly after an act of violence at an abortion clinic. And it caused me to just think about the way that the language we use around abortion um, can, in these, again, increasingly polarized times, can inflame and anger and stir things up in a way that is not not productive, not loving, and does not protect life. And so... Because of the many years I spent um, counseling pregnant women standing outside of abortion clinics, I'm arguing there for using words that show our love and express that we want to help and support them. Mm, So powerful, friends. We've got to jump to a 90-second break. Again, we have one more segment coming up with Josh Shatro, Karen Swallow Pryor. Their book is Cultural Engagement. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program, friends. I'm joined by Karen Swallow Pryor, Joshua Shatra. They've had this fabulous book that's just been released, Cultural Engagement by Zondervan Academic, a crash course in contemporary issues. They discuss um, everything from arts, creation and creature care, gender roles, sexuality, immigration and race, politics, human life, and as I mentioned in the last uh, segment, reproductive technology, war, weapons, capital punishment, work. And it was so refreshing to see just the fabulous contributors uh, who have been part of this work. Uh, And how long, by the way, uh, Josh, how long did this book uh, take to uh, get produced from your first emails out to contributors to uh, coming off the press? Oh, I think it was uh, two and a half years. Yep. Wow. Well, so friends, just so you know, it is a labor of love when you edit a book because you can, you communicate with these contributors and then you've got to all keep it on schedule. And I'm just so grateful. They've done a great service to the church with putting out this 
excellent volume that I think should be required reading for every professor as well. Josh, your, your contribution comes in Section 7, reframing the immigration debate, the need for prudence rather than proof texting. So much in the media right now about this question. What can we learn from your chapter? Yeah, well, what I, what I saw was really uh, I, I felt like how we were addressing this on both sides, uh, how people were addressing it on both sides and using Scripture to kind of proof text policy was is really the wrong way and even a dangerous way to go about it. In other words, um, if you hold one side, uh, it, you know, on immigration, you're xenophobic and you're, you know, a bigot. If you're on the other side, you don't care about border security um, and um, you're you're for open borders. And, I, and 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 then and then what we do is we we have these very polarized um, caricatures of the other side. And then we kind of put our scripture passages underneath those to what 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 uh, exegetes call proof texting their argument, <laughs> and and then and, and then we yell at each other, and 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 it just and and my big point is, um, you know, when the inspired writers were writing, they weren't giving us 21st century uh, Western immigration policies. <laughs> And so mm-hmm. exactly. when we actually get into this issue, we have to use prudence and wisdom to, to make these calls. Now, now there are some biblical parameters for this. Uh, we should uh, care for the stranger and the immigrant. And so there's a, there's a, you know, a default mode for Christians when we uh, interact with someone who is a stranger and immigrant that we would care for them. But that doesn't, that doesn't give us a certain... Uh, you know, immigration policy that that says this is should be our posture as as Christians. So, um, so what I was trying to do is navigate some of that to say, hey, we actually have to slow down and in, in order to in a very complex issue, so that we can have some some light rather than just heat. Um, I have not gotten through the entire book. Um, I've read different chapters that you all have contributed. Wh- was there a chapter, Karen, that surprised you the most as editor that you didn't think it would go in that direction or uh, perhaps is getting reaction that you didn't anticipate from any of the contributors? Well, I think one of the most delightful sections for me was is the one on um, uh, creature and creation care. And uh, we have a contribution from Joel Salatin, who is um, very well known in the sustainable farming communities because of his years of work in in sustainable farming. And he actually only recently came out after writing several books and just being well known and speaking all over the country and the world. He recently came out as a conservative Christian. He just wasn't publicly wow. known as that. And it was just a real delight to have his contribution. He's a, <laughs> he's a Luddite. So his, he had to like text his article and, and doesn't use wow. email very much. And so that was just, that was a fun part of putting the book together. I really like so that. Totally. How did you get it? If I mean, if he's like off the grid, did you have? Did he have to mail this to you? <laughs> well, he has amazing. An he has, has an assistant, and then we had to okay. translate his text into a word document and so forth. And it was just, you know, it was kind of fun. Wow, Josh, how about you? Any surprises from you know? I know a book like this is so labor intensive, and and, and the, it, there's just the waves of getting any any surprises on your end from any of the contributors. Well, I, I think if I can maybe reframe that a little bit, is that I, I really 
appreciated the the art section um probably because um uh that's that's not wasn't part of my training in seminary or getting my phd so um it's i think it's i think it stretched me to think through some of the issues um and uh yeah and just putting that section together with some different personalities and some some really well known um People in the art world, some some of the listeners might not might not know those those gentlemen, but that that was a that was a fun section to work on. And I, again, when you edit a book, you end up learn, learning a lot along the way. And, and I learned quite a bit in that section as well. Karen, what about your chapter? Can guns be pro life? Uh, this is a question you asked to title uh, in section twelve. Um, with page 332, what, what, what is your hopes and uh, your aim for this chapter, Can Guns Be Pro-Life? Well, that essay was prompted um, by my experiences um, as a female runner and having uh, running into various problems on the road, um, which resulted in my husband buying me a handgun. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and, you know, so I had to work through, um, I mean, you know, Guns can protect lives and protect innocent life. And so even though I'm not a warmonger or, you know, a gun enthusiast, um, you know, I we harvest a lot of our own meat and um, use mm-hmm. guns for that and live in the country in a rural area where guns are part of uh, our lifestyle. And I think there's a place for them even amidst, you know, this ongoing problem um, with, you know, we, we do need to have reasonable um restraints on on weapons of course but there's a way of thinking about guns i think that biblically about protecting innocent life providing for families and so forth what i so appreciate karen and josh what you all have done for the church is you've resourced and equipped the church with a volume that helps us uh, do what we said in the first segment seek truth but do so with a spirit of love be resourced be encouraged to know there are answers to these questions but they don't come in sound bites they don't come in bumper sticker theology we really have to think deeply through these things don't we and um, i have a few questions i want to get to that have been submitted um, as we've geared up for this program karen can i just ask you as someone who has encouraged us to read widely in nonfiction, literary nonfiction, uh, just beautiful, your beautiful book on reading well. By the way, Karen, if you ever want to do a book on reading well, colon, the Bible, I would love to partner with you on that because um, I, I've said on this program, you know, I'm an exegete. I'm a historical Jesus scholar. What, what I, so many of my questions with Christians who are struggling is just simply the inability to interpret the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself. And I just so appreciate your emphasis on interpretation. Talk to me as a dad for a moment, Karen. So I have five children. What are the parameters for parents who have kids that want to read widely in the fiction world? I mean, are there just some guardrails that you can help me as a dad or those who have submitted this question to me in preparation for this show? Well, I think that you should allow children to read the things that interest them. It doesn't and talk through them, uh, th- those books with them, read along with them. Um, there may be some some things out there that are very dark and very bad and have an, a, a negative effect on a child. But for the most part, you want to cultivate an interest that they, that they already have and through that may be redirected if it needs to be. But what a great opportunity to just talk to children about yes. the ideas in books. And so I, I'm all for reading widely and reading with children rather than putting a lot of restraints on them. 
So, Karen, I am the product of public school education. My wife is too, okay? So the first time that I ever really appreciated the great books was a world-lit class that I took for Midwestern Baptist College, now reframed as Spurgeon's College. And I think it was my most delightful undergrad class because I had never read some of these great books in my educational upbringing in the public school world. Um, Why do you encourage people in your book to read widely some of these great books, but also just to read widely and and not necessarily business books or theology books, but specifically in, in fiction? What is it about that that stimulates us? Well, of course, I'm writing about literary fiction, which is, you know, all fiction is not really literary. So when we read literary writing, we're actually um, we're actually expressing the image of God in us, because the fact that human beings are creatures that use um, and understand ourselves and our world through language and that we are also narrative creatures who live our lives with an understanding of story. When we read good literature like this, we're actually just expressing our humanity and expressing God's image in us. And so mm. to do that with some intentionality and awareness, I think, is just uh, is contributes to human flourishing. It was mm. powerful for me. I mean, is it is it surprising to you that I would not have read Milton until I was in college, um, Karen? I mean, what is that an indictment of a lot of education today? Um, no, I, I mean, Milton, I think, probably is usually not read until college. Um, I do think, I mean, I'm a product of public schools myself, and from what I see that's going on, I'm married to a public school teacher. Um, I think a lot of the classics are being replaced by literature that's written for young people and not necessarily mm-hmm. – it, it, it hits them on their issues, but it's not really giving them a good literary education. So I think, you know, even if people are – Involved in the public schools, there's a lot of things that you can do to supplement that kind of reading um, through classical Christian organizations and just, you know, having a well-stocked library. Amen. I love it. Friends, you've Mm -hmm. got to get her book on reading well. Fabulous. And you've got to get this book, Cultural Engagement, a crash course in contemporary issues. Um, We have about two and a half minutes left. Josh, I want to begin with you. We ask all of our guests, if you had any unanswered question for God today, what is it? And uh, what would you ask Jesus if you could ask him anything? Yeah, I mean, when you when you turn to the to the end of the Bible, Revelation twenty one, we get this picture of of God restoring everything, wiping away every tear, every sad thing comes untrue. And you know, when we're living in this this world, we're so often we're lamenting, and we don't we don't know why. And uh, mm. I, you know, I believe I believe on that day we're gonna something so unimaginable, something we can't grasp is going to happen um, that's going to open our eyes to um, the glory of God in a way we haven't experienced. So I would I'd love to have even just a bit of a hint now, more of a hint of how he's going to tie this thing all together. Mm, So powerful. Karen, you get the final word. If you had any, if you have an unanswered question, you would ask God today that he would answer, what would it be? Well, my uh, question is not as theological or profound as Josh's question, but I really do want to ask the Lord why he took Jane Austen and Flannery O'Connor from the world so soon. Mm. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Oh, that is such a great way to end the program today. Karen, thank you so much. Josh, thank you all. Thank you for this great book that you all released with cultural engagement. And uh, thanks for being on the program with us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. 
Friends, I'll be back with our final segment. Stay with us. Welcome back to the program, friends. What a fantastic discussion with Karen Swallow Pryor, Joshua Shatro, two excellent guests. Both of them, their first time on this program. I look forward to bringing them back in the weeks and months ahead. I want to encourage you. Um, I, the entire program was around discussing faith at cultural levels, right around their cultural engagement book and the discussion therein. But I would also encourage you to re- absolutely add Karen's book on reading well, Finding the Good Life Through Great Books. Finding the Good Life Through Great Books. Don't you just love that? It's a fabulous book. And then Josh has done a fabulous job as well um, with Apologetics at the the Cross, Truth in a Culture of Doubt, and Truth Matters. These are just excellent resources that I commend to you uh, from all of us here at Christian Thinker Society and our radio program. These are fabulous resources that will enrich your Christian life. Let me encourage you with just some of the things that I was thinking about during the discussion today. Number one, listen well. Wasn't that just such a great reminder on how we need to be careful listeners as Christians? I think so often when we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we work hard at holiness, when we work hard at growing in our faith, we get these kind of pat answers if we're not careful, and we don't really listen to the culture around us and the specific questions that are being asked. Of course, I have said many times that the number one apologetics question of our time, in my opinion, are questions around mental illness in the Christian life. There is so much misinformation in this world, uh, in this whole world of mental health questions in the church, because so many Christians are not listening well to the questions that people actually have. And so when Karen and Josh really challenged us a few moments ago with it's important that we can't engage culture with love if we're not listening, if we don't know the questions that are truly the issues that are being raised, we're just not going to be effective. Um, I think about recently when I was speaking in an event in Alabama, a mental health conference, uh, a gentleman, a dear Christian man, a fine Christian man, God had healed this man of cancer, Uh, And he was there taking notes to my entire session on ministering to those with mental illness in the faith community. And he walked up to me with tears in his eyes, tears streaming down his cheeks. And he said, Dr. Johnson, I just want to say one thing to you. In the past, I've just wanted to quote a Bible verse at someone who's struggling with mental illness and just leave it there. And I was so wrong. I've learned today from this workshop and your plenary session that I need to listen better. And I can't just quote a Bible verse at someone. And friends, hear me. We believe the Word of God always does the work of God. Don't misquote me. Don't misunderstand the point I'm making right now. But this father was saying, I need to do a better job of listening to those who are struggling and not just quote a Bible verse at them and not really listen to their heart that's hurting. Isn't that such a great reminder for us? So there's a very real-world example of what this program has focused on today on how we need to be careful listeners. And, and I want to ask you, are you a good listener? Do you know how to close your mouth and listen and just ask someone, how are you doing? And not be thinking about your answer while that individual's talking, but really engaging in the issues that they're raising. Guess what? If we're not good listeners, we'll never be good at evangelism. If I'm not a good listener, I'll never be good at witnessing. I want to empathize and listen. When you look at the episodes in the Gospels, I think specifically in the Gospel of John, these long conversations that Jesus had with individuals, 
Notice what a great listener he was. What a great reminder to us today as we close this broadcast that's focused on cultural engagement. Again, definitely pick up their book. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a fabulous discussion with Karen Swallow Pryor, Joshua Chatro. I would encourage you to share this with your friends and family. It'll be up in a few days on our blog as well. Check out all of our programs and be sure, if you haven't already, subscribe to our show on wherever you get podcasts so you can have us on demand and take us with you on vacation, on your trips, in the car with you. This program exists to enrich and minister to your life, to have a thinking faith, a critical faith, a faith that not only reassures you, but helps you evangelize those around you. This is Jeremiah Johnston. Thank you so much for the honor of having you join us today on the show. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. If you have any follow-up questions from today's program, we'd love to hear from you. You can submit your questions at askjjj.com. From there, you can also connect with us across social media. All our conversations are available because of listener support. To find out more information, head over to myfaithradio.com. And so you never miss a show, you can subscribe to our podcast free in iTunes, the Google Play Store, or even our RSS feed. Thank you for sharing our show with a friend and growing the impact of our ministry.